with demand expected to come back. But the question remains, does this mean the economy is back on track? Companies now, after experimenting with offshore and places like India, Philippines, and Poland, want to bring those jobs back. We invest in the U.S. We're the biggest exporter in the country. In the cycle one right now, we're creating jobs. From Radio America, it's Neil Asbury's Made in America. The show that explores American industry, large and small, and promotes American-made products everywhere. Put Neil Asbury's Made in America to work for you. A very big welcome to you today. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host, Dr. Rich Rothman. Well, Rich, this past week, the Pope came to town. And lots of uh, interesting things uh, coming out of that. Of course, the people here in the United States were... We're so happy, so proud that he came uh, to our country, went to Washington, went to New York. I mean, the crowds were ginormous. I mean, a lot of emotional outpouring for the Pope here in the United States. Well, you know, if, if Frank Capper were alive, he could probably turn that into a movie. <laughs> sort of like Mrs. Smith goes to Washington, Pope Francis goes to Washington, you know. But what was what was astounding to me was, you know, how he uh, interjected himself on some very uh, uh, touchy subjects here in the United States. Yeah. This whole thing with uh, climate change and and essentially endorsing a, a, a policy of the president, which, you know, a, a lot of Americans uh, don't support. I mean, it's it's, you know, kind of, you know, picking sides here. I mean. What's his position on capitalism, capitalism and greed? You know, it destroys the environment. And, you know, it's, it's capitalism that lift people out of poverty that do not put them into poverty. I mean, look at what look at the border between West Germany and East Germany. If you want any other proof. Well, also, you can also look at the nighttime shots of South Korea versus North Korea. You don't see North Korea because, what? Are, oh, that's right, they don't have electricity. And you look at South Korea, and it's enormously successful with free enterprise. But I did find it interesting, and it's so nice to see that Bernie Sanders went ahead and um, embraced what the Pope was saying in terms of, um, you know, not worshiping the dollar. Uh, which, of course, he wants to spend $18 trillion of them, but that's another whole conversation. <laughs> Go, Bernie. Well, I'm sure he'll probably come up a couple of times during this show. But, uh, yeah, I mean, jobs, uh, our economy, and, and lots of issues uh, were discussed in, in, in policies that very much in, impacts jobs in our country, like energy, uh, manufacturing, uh, the sort of uh, economic system that we should have, what produces jobs and so forth. But we're going to have a number of guests today that's going to talk about uh, b those topics. But first, I'm at Volkswagen. Wow, what in the world is going on at Volkswagen, this incredible company? Uh, someone who's just published a couple of pieces, he's the uh, energy and environment uh, correspondent for the Washington Examiner. We're very pleased to have on the show Kyle Fetcher. Kyle, welcome to Made in America. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. So you, you published a couple of pieces here in the Washington Examiner here uh, just uh, recently. Fascinating, fascinating thing going on here. I mean, it, it could cost Volkswagen up to $18 billion. Their stock declines 25%. They cheated a test. I mean, this is absolutely incredible, Kyle, that they actually developed a software that recognized when cars were being tested uh, for their emissions. I mean, this is absolutely insane. What in the world were these people thinking of? That is a fantastic question. You know, it kind of reads like a uh, the kind of kind of like worst case scenario scheme that you would think of. Uh, you know, a, a company in a, in a an evil company in a movie would think of almost to write a hundred million lines of code in order to get around emissions testing. And a uh, hundred million lines of code. That's what it took. 
That's what that's what they said. The EPA officials who I who and all you have to get is one disgruntled employee, you know, to blow the whistle. I mean, Kyle. I mean, this is bizarre. Uh, How could they think they can get away with it? Yeah, that's 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 a great question. It's interesting how this came out. Uh, it's just some researchers from West Virginia University actually just basically took out some uh, some VW vehicles on on tests and uh, you know stuck a probe up the exhaust pipe and just kind of measured what was coming out. And they thought they would find that these clean diesel vehicles were hitting their emission standards. And no matter what, they couldn't get them down to what uh, the standards said they were supposed to be. And it turns out that the, yeah, they you know there's a software workaround essentially that. Uh, didn't work in real-world scenarios. Well, uh, you know, this is Rich. It's good to have you on the show. So, it, 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 Neil, it appears that a, a, a vehicle colonoscopy actually <laughs> brought down the CEO and chairman of, of VW. But listen, you know, this is a very serious conversation because 29 states right now are considering legal action, class action lawsuits against VW. The whole concept of the diesel engines now being questioned they're saying from the energy point of view, it could be the end of diesel fuel. And more importantly, what are you going to do with all those cars that are out there that people own right now that aren't certified to be driven or even, for that matter, sold in the United States? So the, the, the trickle-down effect, you know what I'm talking about, is going to affect so many more thousands and thousands of people that this is going to have enormous ramifications. There, there have been drivers all across the country who feel, who've been saying that they've felt scammed by this and that they, they feel like they've been lied to by the company. And, you know, it's, it's really calling into question. Many people are questioning whether VW might be able to survive this. Uh, they've already set aside more than $7 billion to just deal with what they need to fix in these cars, let alone the potential fines that they could face, which is $37,000 a vehicle in the United States. That's more than $18 billion. So uh, they've already had their stock go down 25% this week. Uh, it's, it's been just a complete, complete disaster for VW. Well, uh, Rich and Kyle's PC points out that there's 482,000 cars in the United States alone that is impacted by this. But Kyle, I mean, we're not talking about by, uh, cheating by a little bit here. I mean, it, 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 that these cars were actually emitting 40 times more nitrogen oxide than the legal limit. I mean, 40 times more. I mean, it wasn't a close call here. I mean, this this was massive. So uh, is this technology, are these engines ever able to come into compliance? You know, that's a great question because we don't really, it doesn't seem like we really know. Uh, you know, these clean diesel vehicles are, you know, kind of revolutionary in that they were supposed to be able to, you know, increase uh, miles miles per gallon for, uh, for these vehicles and be kind of a way forward. And now it seems like, you know, it's called, it dates back six years worth of, of models. So it's, it's, it really calls into question whether, you know, these have ever been viable. And it's going to really be interesting to see where the technology goes from here. And it will be interesting to see what other automakers who employ similar technology, uh, you know, whether they have something similar in their vehicles. And that's something that the EPA announced today that they're going to uh, ramp up their testing on vehicles to see, you know, is anyone else cheating? Is anyone else doing this? And, uh, you know, I've seen some speculation that it's, po- it's quite possible that this isn't the only, this isn't an isolated case, as it were. Well, no, there's a piece out on Bloomberg this week. Uh, it's, it's written, is something rotten in the state of corporate Germany? You know, VW, Neil, and Kyle's not alone. I mean, you, you just Kyle just pointed out Deutsche Bank had problems this way. Siemens had problems this way. Now VW's having problems this way. You know, is there something, Kyle, is there something wrong in the water in, uh, in Germany right now? Maybe it's the diesel fuel. I don't know, but something's not right. 
Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's all the uh, all the extra uh, nitrogen oxide that's in the air that uh, is causing people to think that they can get away with these kind of things. <laughs> So, so, Kyle, you did mention about, you know, this may not be the only case. I mean, if, if Volkswagen, I mean, let's face it, I mean, it's, a, it's a high-tech company. I mean, it's a, it's a sophisticated company in many ways. If, if they cannot come within 40 times the legal limit, I mean, how in the world can others come within the limit uh, and, to, and to comply with the regulation? And uh, who else makes these cars? I mean, who would be the target of looking at this further? You know, it seems like just every it, – it, it's – the EPA has decided that they're going to just expand it to every vehicle. It seems like uh, you know, they're they're putting automakers on notice that they're all the vehicles that come in for testing are going to uh, face face enhanced uh, testing, and they're not saying what that is. Uh, they're just saying that they're going to keep the cars longer and drive them in more real-world scenarios as opposed to laboratory testing, which is obviously a little bit more cost-effective, a little bit cheaper. You know, it might, might be some more expensive testing on the government's end, but uh, really, uh, if, you know, if I was an automaker and I, you know, I, I'd be worried that, uh, you, know, the, what, you know, can my vehicles uh, be standing up to this on the, you know, enhanced testing and it, that the uh, EPA is going to, be, and going to be doing. Do the people who own these cars, I mean, is it like illegal to drive these cars if they're not in compliance? Now, that was one thing that they did say today, that the, these vehicles, you can still drive them. Uh, it's still legal for them to be driven in the United States. Uh, you know, there's no recall at this point. If a recall does come, it's going, you know, obviously Volkswagen is going to be on the hook for uh, repairing and, you know, and paying for the repairs to all these cars and, and, and I guess, rewrite, you know, installing new software on, the, on these vehicles. So at this point, uh, there's nothing that consumers really need to do. Uh, you know, I, I guess if you... If you're really, if you bought one of these cars and you're really worried about uh, what you know the emissions that are coming out of it, it might, it might be a good idea to drive them less. But that's, I guess, up to the individual person. There's nothing that's coming down from the government at this point. <laughs> that's a terrific idea. Listen, Bobby, do me. You know the car we got you the other day, and you love it, and you've been waxing it. I don't want you to drive it Tuesdays, <laughs> Thursdays, and Saturdays. Exactly. That's going to go over really well for the BW. You know what? But there's a lot more out there, and we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but you know, we're concerned about jobs and jobs creation. This will affect, this could affect dealerships. You know, there was a, a report out the other day that a dealership that would sell 30 cars a day sold one. People are very, very concerned. So how do they floor plan the cars that are there right now? What about the maintenance that's on the cars? If they cannot do the maintenance and they can't sell the cars and the stuck floor planning, this could just be an enormous downside to the U.S. economy in terms of jobs. Well, Kyle, you know, unfortunately, we're out of time at, at, at this point. But, you know, we'd love to get you back as we follow this story. This thing is not going to end anytime soon. No, this is explosive. We've been listening to... Kyle Felcher, who's the energy and environment correspondent at the Washington Examiner. Coming up, we have Pat Michaels, who's the director for the Center of Study of Science at the Cato Institute, is going to talk about what did he hear from the Pope as far as uh, climate change goes. Made in America. Welcome to you today. I'm Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Rich, well, as we just said a few moments ago at the uh, outset of the show, uh, Pope Francis has come to America, and he's said a lot of things, a lot of inspirational things, a lot of emotional outpouring for the Pope to be here. But he did venture into things that impact our jobs. And here at Made in America, we're all about jobs, and energy is a very big 
part of our economy, big, very big part of job creation. Uh, uh, of course, the uh, economic system that we live under, capitalism, a very, very important part of America's prosperity and wealth and strength. And so the Pope had a lot to say about these issues. And uh, so it's very interesting uh, to kind of get a read on. And I think that we're going to be talking about this for quite a long time to come. But he did specifically go uh, about climate change. I mean, he was uh, pretty, pretty uh, focused on that topic. And someone has just, uh, who we admire very much on the show, has written a piece, What Should Pope Francis Say About Climate Change? Uh, we're going to get his idea of what the Pope actually did say, not what he should have said, but what he did say. We're very pleased to have back on the show Pat Michaels, who's the director of the Center for the Study of Science at the Cato Institute. Pat, welcome back to Made in America. Uh, good to be with you. So I, I read your piece of what he should say now, now but what, what did he say? And I, I just think it was pretty bizarre to see him there at the White House uh, standing with the president, essentially endorsing uh, certain specific policies of this president and, uh, uh, you know, kind of just getting right into American politics. Well, he said that it is the role of government to uh, discard certain technologies and to promote other technologies. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, so he believes that uh, we shouldn't be working in nearly as much of a free market in energy as command and control from the government. Uh, this is not really surprising. He seems to be a believer uh, in just not just big government nationally, but big government internationally. Uh, he he had a lot of uh, words in his encyclical, Laudato Si', uh, about the need for a supranational authority uh, that can meet punishment if people don't meet environmental goals uh, and to set environmental goals and things like that. So I mean, he's, a, he's, he's the pope from big government. Well, he's the pope from big government. If you, I think you have to understand... You know where he's coming from. First of all, well, the Catholic I, I must Church admit, itself is kind of a big government organization. Yeah, there's no question <laughs> about that, and they're into power and control and so forth. I, I get all that. Punishment. A lot of money. But understanding that this is the first pope from Latin America, and understanding that he's Argentine, and understanding yeah. that his his childhood, he grew up in a, in a very strong fascist environment where big government controlled everything. And if you didn't go along with the big government, then the Peron organization and others just went after you and attacked you. So I understand that. Uh, I also understand in terms of his climate change conversations, i just like to refer back to history a little bit. And I, I understand that the, the church didn't do really well for a guy named Galileo, and it certainly didn't do well for Galileo's friend Bruno, because that guy was burned at the stake for having his thing, his theory. So I, I think you have to listen to what the Pope has to say, and you have to understand where he's coming from and appreciate the fact that he wants you know all of us to – get along and do the best thing we can and, and, and really husband the resources of the world. Um, but it, I, I just I, I think you have to segregate from that uh, the reality of where we live in the 21st century versus what this gentleman is saying. I think uh, you're exactly correct. And uh, his, he, you have to understand that he's from the leftist liberation theology movement also, uh, coupled with being from uh, Peronist Argentina. And, and the, the, the hallmark of Peronism is redistribution of wealth. 
taking money away from the so-called peers and oligarchs and handing it out to the descomisados. If you read, you know, about Ava Perón, uh, her politics really, in terms of uh, of welfare and society, are really not that much different than the Pope's. Well, Pat, you know, but the Pope also must understand that the the, the people that you know he's advocating on, you know, the the poor people all around the world, you know, people who are you know are are sunk in poverty. I mean, they're poor and they're trapped and they have no way out. I mean, energy and available uh, having access to energy, you know, with energy there can be plants and factories and production and agriculture and food and all the sorts of things that they need in order to lift themselves out of poverty. I mean, it looks to me like he should be advocating as part of his uh, uh, elimination of poverty or the alleviation of poverty that, that these people need access to energy. Uh, yes, and ironically, uh, when people do have access to energy and become more affluent, that's when they begin to protect their environment. The fact of the exactly. matter is... It's a hallmark of the world that the poorer a place is, whether it's the poor part of a city, a poor state, or a poor nation, the poorer it is, the more degraded the environment is. I mean, did not the Pope see see uh, the environmental disasters of the Soviet Union? I mean, I how, how, Cuba. How, how, he how just left Cuba. How could he ignore these Come things? On. I know. Well, 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 Pat, unfortunately, we're out of time, but we're going to have to get you back on this because this is really a, a very, very important issue for our times. We've been listening to Pat Michaels, director for the Center for the Study of Science at the Cato Institute. Pat, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Neil. Coming up, we have Michael Watley, executive vice president of the Consumer Energy Alliance. We're going to stay on energy. We're going to talk about Hillary Clinton now officially, officially opposes the Keystone Pipeline. Made in America. After moving sharply higher at the open, stocks continued to perform well over the course of the day Tuesday. And I think that bodes well here over the next couple of years for having bigger demands coming to this country. Now... More of Neil Asbury's Made in America. Thanks for coming back and joining us again. This is Neil Asbury, your host of Made in America, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Rich, uh, you know, we could have had that discussion about the philosophical uh, differences between capitalism and and communism and what sort of economic uh, system is best for the environment you know, and as uh, as uh, uh, our good friend uh, Pat Michaels just told us, as as people's uh, wealth, as people become more wealthy and their countries prosper, they take care of the environment. So we should want to lift everybody out of, of poverty. If that was if that was the case, and we made great strides, we would have made a lot of progress on cleaning up our climate. Well, I mean, it, it becomes that the choices that people have when they actually have money and they can put food on the table is, well, let me see. I want you to understand this idea. We're going to have cleaner air, um, and we're going to, uh, but it's going to cost you a lot more money so you can't eat. <laughs> but, but you're going to have clean air and see if they really want to do it. Of course not. It's just, it's contradic- contradictory. You know, the only hope of China cleaning up its environment is to become prosperous. And then there are people demanding. Because they want. Because they want. They and want. They, they, they want to have a better life. But eating's good. 
So, you know, we haven't spoke for a while, Rich, on the Keystone uh, Pipeline. I mean, something that we talked a lot about. I mean, it's been kind of pushed off the uh, uh, the pages of our papers and our in our news sites. But it's back in the news with Hillary Clinton now officially opposing it. I, I don't know if we should be what a very surprised no, about no, that. But it's taken her quite a long time to come to that decision. Uh, we're very pleased to have on the show for the first time Michael Watley, who's Executive Vice President of the Consumer Energy Alliance. Michael, welcome to Made in America. I appreciate the chance to chat with you guys. So it's it's seven years now, and what, $175 billion of lost economic activity uh, that the uh, State Department first received the application for the Keystone Pipeline. And so I guess it took uh, Hillary quite a long time to make that decision, but now she officially opposes it. Uh, Michael, should we be surprised about that? You know, we should be a little bit surprised because, you know, this has not been a partisan uh, project or the support for this project hasn't been partisan at all. In fact, we've seen overwhelming majorities, both Republican and Democrat in the House and the Senate, uh, who have said that they support this thing. But when you put the national political uh, discussion at play and you talk about funding from guys like Tom Steyer and other, you know, uh, billionaires, uh, from San Francisco and, and New York and Massachusetts uh, that, you know, make a, this a litmus test for the candidates that they're going to support, then it is not surprising to see her come out with it. I think that if she had, uh, you know, been running a nice, smooth presidential campaign, that uh, she probably would uh, continue to be quiet on this. But uh, she needs to shore up her environmental base, and unfortunately this is one way she's doing it. Well, and, and what I find interesting also, and you're right, it is bipartisan. I mean, the Washington Post, Stephen Stromberg this week in the Washington Post came out with a piece basically saying why Hillary Clinton's Keystone XL decision is a bad call. It is a bad call. And it just, you know, I'm not surprised because it just falls into her hallmark or pandering to her base, uh, which is, you know, she, you know what she does, Neil. Of course, when she's in the South, she sounds like Colonel Sanders. So she starts <laughs> speaking in the dialectisms of, of, of the South. So this is absolutely coming out with, uh, you know, a pandering to the basic uh, folks out there who, who on the left support her, and she doesn't want to lose them. She's desperate. For well, them. I think she, I think this she is, is losing. I think she is losing them. Yeah, she's got to do something to keep. She's these scared, and you know, instead of uh, moving to the middle, I mean, she's tacking to the hard left. Yeah, exactly. And so, Michael, I mean, it, because it, while she's doing that, she's also giving up part of her support from the labor community, which is another key aspect of the uh, Democratic base. You know, labor has been very, very strong in support of this pipeline and uh, have expressed that they were very disappointed, you know, with her decision to come out on this thing. I think, you know, the fact that the labor uh, unions have supported the project is the only reason that President Obama hasn't rejected it yet. So, it really kind of goes to which base you're going to play with. And at this point, uh, the environmental community has just been a lot louder on the issue. Well, and, and, and one of the things that you point out and you discuss is, number one, this is probably going to be the most the, the safest pipeline ever built. And more importantly, a pipeline is the safer way to deliver product throughout the United States versus, for example, Warren Buffett's you know, Burlington Northern, where every now and then these, these train cars derail. And even though they may be the most advanced train cars, tank cars that exist, which they are right now, they still rupture and they still dump, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of gallons of raw oil into our environment. So you would think that the decision really was the wrong one from Hillary. 
Well, it really was. And if you look at the safety aspects that you're talking about, you know, that's not TransCanada doing that study. It's not, you know, Consumer Energy Alliance doing those studies. The Obama administration, Department of State, has said that this will be the safest pipeline ever built. And the Obama administration, Department of Energy, said that it will help keep gasoline and diesel prices low. And the Obama administration, you know, uh, has said that, uh, that it is far safer for you to move oil uh, through pipelines um, instead of on trucks and barges, like you just mentioned with it. So, you know, it, it, it is uh, remarkable that when we're talking about uh, bringing in oil from Venezuela or the Middle East versus bringing in oil from North Dakota and Canada, that we're even having this discussion. But that oil is, is uh, uh, Michael, is, is actually still arriving down at the uh, refineries, right? I mean, it's just going through the rail uh, cars, exactly. like, like Richie said. So they're not preventing that oil from getting to market. They're just not getting it to market in the most efficient and safe way. Well, that's true. And, and not all of the oil that's coming in uh, on rail out of the oil sands is heading down that way. You know, at the end of the day, what we want to do with this pipeline is replace Venezuelan and Middle Eastern oil, which is a whole lot less reliable and a whole lot more expensive, with the oil from the Bakken and, and from Canada. So, you know, as, as much as coming in on the rails, uh, and it's a lot that's coming in on rails, uh, that still is not as much as we would be able to get through this pipeline. You know, 830,000 barrels a day is a, a pretty significant piece of what we use in America. Well, as you said in your piece, you know, the, it, will President Obama act upon it before 2016? Uh, uh, not likely. So I guess this is going to be on the desk of the next president. Uh, so hopefully that president will sign this thing and we'll finally get it done with. Michael, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Coming up, we have Michelle Minton from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. She's back to join us on a fascinating discussion about tobacco. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host, Dr. Rich Ruffman. Rich, you know, we've had a lot of discussions on the show about the, reg- the regulation factories working overtime in Washington and, you know, people out of work. And yet it's so difficult for our businesses uh, to to comply uh, with a lot of this regulation. What is it? Uh, we, we did a show not uh, long ago where uh, the amount of regulation that we created uh, last year in 2014 was more than the entire amount of regulation that was created in the Reagan administration over eight years. So uh, it's absolutely out of control regulation. And some regulation is good, but but let me tell you, probably a a lot of this has a good intention, but in the end, it does so much damage. Another thing that we talked a lot about, Rich, is is the nanny state and the growth of the nanny state Mm -hmm. and how our uh, government seems to want to tell us what we should drink, what we should eat, and, uh, just Welcome wanna, to the world of Bloomberg. Welcome w- to the world exactly. of de Blasio. Welcome to the world of New York City. And, 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 just but, to you get know, started. Just to get started. And it's just uh, like all over the place. And, hey, look, you know, let people live their lives and be free. You know, w- when we talk about regulation on the tobacco industry, something that has always just shaken me up is watching this this uh, thing on television where this, this lady has got uh, throat cancer from smoking. And, you know, she's this beautiful young girl. She grows up, you know, what, she's in her 40s, 50s, 
And uh, she's you know, a walking corpse. She she's looks a walking terrible. corpse, it's and scary. then she ends up passing away. I mean, I mean, if, if that doesn't scare the bejesus out of someone who's smoking, but then yet other people are just going to, you know, ignore it and continue to smoke, just like people drink and people do other things. I mean, it's I guess at some point, where does uh, where does one's decisions kick in and where does the nanny state uh, kind of leave off? And that's, I guess, what the whole discussion should be about. We're very pleased to have on the show, back on the show, Michelle Minton from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Michelle, welcome to Made in America. Thanks for having me on. You've just published a piece, has plain packaging reduced tobacco consumption, and it's about Australia and how they're trying to do all sorts of things with the way that tobacco is being packaged. And you mm-hmm. say is uh, the purpose of the Soviet-style packaging is to help reduce t- tobacco consumption. So going as far as Soviet-style packaging to try to get people uh, not to smoke, but in the end, there's really no there's really no proof that any of these things, this nanny state intervention, that that actually changes people's habits. Right. No, and this is despite people trying to make the claim that it is working. What they have is, uh, you know, the cigarette companies aren't allowed to have any form of advertising, no imagery. Uh, the only imagery that's allowed to be on the packages are the ones of, you know, the blackened lungs or, you know, the heart, something like that, to show the dangers of uh, of tobacco consumption. And uh, even the the name of the company is has to be in a very particular font size. You know, it can't be. They can't get too flashy with their font. Uh, so they can't advertise and trick people into buying cigarettes with that. You know, with the script they're using on their on their labels. So, have there really been studies to show that because the the, the packaging is done in a certain way that it, it increases the purchase of product, or for that matter, the converse of that? Does it show that because of the way the government wants to have it, that we actually reduce you know cigarette smoking? What, what, yeah, well, what, there, what's the skinny on that? There, there are studies that show you know advertising influences consumer behavior, but. I mean, no, that we know. Before. There's no question. I agree yeah, with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Pick, pick, a, pick an issue and you'll be able to find a dozen studies on each side of it. You know, there, there's a pretty much a study for anything you want to say. But in the reality, you know, in the real world, outside of a clinical setting, we have an entire nation that has put this requirement on cigarettes. And there's a couple others that are talking about doing it, like Ireland and England. And, you know, eventually America will talk about it, too. Uh, in reality, what it has done is it seems to have done absolutely nothing. Uh, and at the worst, it, it may have actually increased consumption or that's just you know, it's it's not exactly causational that we know of, but in the aftermath, in the year after they instituted the plain packaging, cigarette consumption did slightly rise. Uh, and it only started to go down again when they hiked up the taxes by about 25%. So when someone, all right, someone wants to go out and buy a pack of cigarettes, somebody goes mm-hmm. into, let's take this to the next level as well, into, you know, they want to go to fast food or they want to mm-hmm. get some candy. Are they actually reading? Are they actually looking at, you know, the, the, the baby Ruth, for example, and reading every little ingredient that's in there, the amount of trans fat? Do they care? I mean, I don't know. And with cigarettes, from a lot of the studies I've done, one of the reasons, you know, as an adult smoker, people who are adult smokers aren't smoking because of advertising or even because they think it's cool. They're smoking because they're addicted to it. But one of the reasons that kids start smoking is because they do think it's cool. And that's not something that really comes from the advertising anymore. Uh, it's something that comes from television and movies. And some of those television movies were made 50 years ago, you know. Uh, it, it, but the good news is that Throughout the, throughout the Western world, cigarette consumption has been going down in every single country. Pretty much every month, month over month, cigarette uh, consumption declines. And this is one of the interesting things. My blog post is about Christopher Snowden's study. He works uh, in England for uh, the 
uh, Institute of Economic Affairs. And he's written a lot about sin taxes and, and when they work and when they don't work, which is most of the time. Uh, and he, what he noticed was that uh, that the taxes didn't, or the, sorry, the plain packaging didn't really seem to do much in Australia. But if you compare it to Britain, for example, which has very similar uh, laws on tobacco, you know, the similar campaigns, uh, similar taxes, their taxes are actually less on tobacco, but they don't have clean packaging. And consumption fell at a faster rate in Britain than it did in Australia. So he's saying that it might have actually, in some way, for whatever reason, we don't know, but it might have actually encouraged people to smoke more. And this is one of the things I talk about is that uh, a lot of people in government really do have good intentions. They see people dying. They see, you know, people spending a lot of their money on a thing that's harmful for them. And they want to help. But they don't know what the effects are going to be of their policies. And a lot of the time, there's unintended consequences. And they're not good. And a lot of times, actually worse than what they're trying to solve. Incredible. Well, that's why the police were taking down that, you know, that guy yeah. who had asthma and he had a heart attack. Well, Michelle, thanks for being on the show. Fascinating topic. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Coming up, Dr. Rothman is going to give his always provocative report on the rise of cronyism in America. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host, Dr. Rich Rothman. Well, Rich, what do you got for us this week on cronyism? And are we going to get a robot report just to, just to, to wet our whistle here? Well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about robots. And it, it, I just find this to be amazing that there's now a thespian robot. There's an actor robot um, that is actually out there right now applying to get a Screen Actors Guild card, Neil. Really, a robot? A sa- you know, yeah, let me robot. tell you, since you've been doing a robot report here yeah. to kind of uh, sandwich it in with your cronyism report, i got to tell you, I mean, I'm seeing uh, everywhere. things everywhere, everywhere. I mean, there's so much discussion going on in places that you don't even expect it. I've been flying a lot this last couple of weeks, and I've been looking at the airline magazines, you know, trying to pass some time away. And, you know, there's stories even in those magazines about robots. I mean, it's just like everywhere now. No, it's very, very – remember, we, we talked about this almost two years ago. The, the robot industry is one of the most excited industries to be in right now in terms of its incredible growth globally. And, and uh, I mean, but what's really silly, these are the unattended consequences, like the robot that wouldn't stop, you know, saying really bad things instead of saying thank you. We talked about that last week. Well, this one, because this robot is actually going to join SAG, don't ask me how. I haven't got a bloody clue. But it's also going to wind up getting robot health insurance and a pension. I'm not kidding you. This is in the Daily Mail. This is really going to happen. Well, you know, we talked about the nanny state here in regulations. Uh, I got to tell Michelle, you. Just a moment ago, I can't imagine what the nanny state and, 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 and our government uh, regulators, those regulation factories are going to come up with to, to, to control the robots. Well, and they're also finding out that robots are going to steal the jobs from people like chefs, salespeople, Models. I, 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 models. There's no question. I'd rather look at a model than than a robot. That doesn't. <laughs> that just doesn't work for me. No, the heck with that. And and they, they, it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. And eventually, the scientists, as they said, you know, you better watch out because we're going to uh, take over those jobs. Now, as far as cronyism concerned, this is interesting. You know, we have been talking about this for a long time. It is. If you ask anybody out there, what's really wrong with our government? And, and then they, they, they come up with this very long list. They pull it out of their pocket, and it says go around the block and see the rest of it. But the truth of the matter is Gallup has done a, a poll uh, in the last week or two, and it's been published, that says, Neil, 75% 
according to Gallup. That's pretty. That's, this guy's not on the right. He's he's middle to the left. Seventy five percent in the United States see widespread government corruption. They don't trust the government, Neil. They are uncomfortable with what's happening with the government. And that's exactly what we talk about right now. Why? Because they feel that there's unfair advantages to corporations and friends. I'll give you a quick one, just for the heck of it. Unfair advantages. Unfair uh, advantages. It means cronyism. That means cronyism. For example, we all know that Caterpillar, just in the last week, announced that about 22,000 people could be laid off to help the company survive. Big, big, big. It set off a whole negative selling thing in the stock market this week. Well, it turns out that President Barack Obama said Wednesday that heavy equipment maker Caterpillar has informed him that it will rehire. Listen to this, Neil. It will rehire some of the thousands of workers it laid off in the recent weeks if, here's the big one, if Congress passes an economic stimulus bill that will directly affect and help Caterpillar, which will directly affect, uh, uh, directly affect Obama which will directly affect the election in 2016 because they're going to rehire 22,000 people. And who do you think they're going to vote for? Hey, I got my job back. Thank you so much, Mr. President, for getting the stimulus bill through that is saving Caterpillar, which is saving these jobs, which, I mean, come on, Neil. You you understand where that's going. Not a good one. Not a very good one. And here's another one that's kind of interesting. Hillary Clinton It's turned out that Hillary Clinton personally signed the deal that let top aide, you know, uh, the the woman who was married to, uh, you know, Wiener or a Wiener, you know, was married to him. (laughs) But it turns out they were wondering why why his wife was working, you know, Mrs. Abedin was working for the State Department. And at the exact same time, she was working for what's that one that's out there they're worrying about now? Actually, right. Of course, the Clinton Foundation. There's that name again. And at the and she was and, drawing but, salaries from both places at the same time. And guess what? And Hillary Hil- approved it. Hillary, first Hillary said, I don't know how that happened. And then it turns out, the, the State Department pointed out, that it was Hillary Clinton that signed off on her ability to get paid from the Clinton Foundation at the same time she was getting paid from the State Department. Well, Rich, you know, always, uh, every week you come up with some incredible stories. And, you know, this... Uh, cronyism thing it's it's just it's just gone wild it's just gone wild and as we get into this next election cycle and we follow the money uh you're going to uncover all sorts of stories i mean that's fascinating. Oh, i'll give you a quick one here's a real quick one the epa has a fondness for high-end furniture well they spent 92 million dollars in high-end furniture including 813 dollars and 57 cents for a pencil holder well there you go just gonna throw that one in Well, we hope you enjoyed our show. We're going to be back again next week at the same time for another adventure of Made in America, where we never stop fighting for your jobs. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.